for listening to the Jay's Journal Podcast for Monday, August the 7th. I'm your host, as always, Ari Shapiro. And on tonight's show, three brilliant baseball minds that are going to talk to us about the Toronto Blue Jays, about an afternoon in which the team dropped the kind of game that has been consistent with the heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching nature of this season. There's no other way to put it. Uh, the Blue Jays drop a 7-6 to decision to the Houston Astros after Roberto Asuna is unable to close a crucial game that would have won them the series. And what's really unfortunate is that, apart from Roberto Asuna's struggles, is the realization that in this desperate attempt to try to get back into the wildcard race, these are precisely the kinds of games that will end up costing the team dearly. And now that we're down to almost 50, 51 to play, there's just no margin for error. And unfortunately for a lot of fans of the team, this loss to the Houston Astros is going to be painful, especially with the off day as they mull over what could have been. And of course, what's fascinating is that Marcus Stroman once again continues to prove that he's not just a big game pitcher, but truly one of the game's elite. Didn't have an elite afternoon giving up 11 hits with a couple of earned runs, but pitched well enough to give this team an opportunity to win and unfortunately walked away with yet another no decision. The emotion is there. The results, sadly, have not been uh, as I mentioned, Roberto Asuna blew another save and unfortunately only managed to throw five fastballs during what seemed like three dozen hitters. Um, what's especially frustrating is that he's clearly struggling, doesn't seem to have confidence in the pitches that he once trusted. Hopefully it's something that Pete Walker and Russell Martin can sit down with him and talk about how to maybe find a little bit more confidence. He looked really lost out there. Uh, Justin Smoke doesn't look lost anymore because this is his year, and he's demonstrating that. Once again, great, consistent, controlled at-bats. He's the one player on the team who got the memo about the importance of playing offense. One man who didn't get the memo, although today he did have a home run and went one for five, is Jose Bautista, who's now hitting two fifteen, which puts him, in terms of career franchise average this late in the season, the third worst behind Aaron Hill and Alfredo Griffin, this is specifically or precisely the kind of number that makes you wonder how this team invested its money, $18 million for over 100 strikeouts and an inability to be anywhere near consistent. So against the Yankees, the Blue Jays plan to send J-Hap, Cesar Valdez, and Marco Estrada in a series that at this stage in the season was circled as being one of the most important ones to determine the fate of their year. Now it seems like the Blue Jays are coming dangerously close, if not already simply being the spoilers. Only time will tell. Let's take a look at our round table. And as promised, I've got a great action-packed discussion featuring the site expert of Jay's journal, Chris Henderson, uh, Jeff Falbo, formerly of DeepLeagues.com, a writer and blogger, and Eric Rosenheck, who runs the website Definitely Not Jay's Talk. All three are here to entertain you and offer you their perspective on all things Blue Jays. So here we are with a brilliant late-night edition of the Roundtable, and it is late, and that's why I've gotten three brilliant baseball minds who are night owls. Chris Henderson, Jeff Falbo, and Eric Rosenheck are here to talk about what was a very eventful day of Blue Jays baseball. I'm putting it and delicately, I want to start with you, Chris. What were your thoughts on how this series with Houston ended? And uh, what are fans supposed to think after seeing Roberto Osuna blow his third save since the All-Star break? 
Well, uh, you know, it's funny. I watched the whole game except for the, the final half inning. I had ended up getting a phone call and stepping out. So just as I'm on the phone, I got a notification on my Twitter that said the Blue Jays had lost, and my jaw dropped. And, uh, you know, after having going back and looking at it, it's uh, it's just it's a little bit concerning just to see the lack of, uh, you know, to see just the pitch selection that they were using. And whatever the case was going on today, whether he's not feeling 100% uh, physically or whatever the case may be, it's uh, he's been one of the best pieces of the team all year. So you kind of wonder what was up because that just isn't very much like him, especially considering the recent performances quite a, a weekend in uh, Houston. It seems like every time they go to Minute Maid Park, it's a, it's a bit of a, a nightmare. Um, but yeah, Friday was what I like to call a stiff drink game. Um, nice win on Saturday with Rob Snyder and Ryan Gones uh, working together. And uh, yeah, I, I, to be honest, I didn't really see much of Sunday game. I, I um, watched the recap, but uh, you know what? I think maybe just... Osuna's just a little bit overworked this year, and he's got a lot going on off the field as well, and, and maybe he's just hitting a wall. I don't think it's too much of a concern, seeing that, well, very likely they're uh, they're not going to make up five and a half games in the wild card. So, you know what? Maybe he just needs a little bit of a break, and uh, I still think he should be the closer. This weekend was just a, a perfect synopsis of the Jays' entire season. They can lose very easily, but very difficult to win. No win has been easy this year. It's been nail-biter right to the end. I think there's maybe been one or two games where we say we have this one in the bag. And this entire Houston series, it just reminded me of the way the Jays season went. So many ups and definitely so many downs. And uh, I wasn't impressed with the Jays, the way they played all weekend long. But uh, it's just a reflection of their season. We can all agree on one thing when it comes to consistency or lack. The one player who has been consistent has been Justin Smoke, but the pitcher who's impressed us the most, I think we can all agree, has been Marcus Stroman. This wasn't his finest game. He struggled, gave up 11 hits, a couple of earned runs, had moments where it looked like he was going to get knocked out of the game, but he hung in there and ended up with another no decision. Um, Jeff, what's your theory on, on these uh, increasingly frustrating no decisions that he's experiencing. Do you think a pitcher like him, given what we know about him, is shrugging this off? Or is this having some kind of res- residual effect on his emotional state of mind? Well, it has to. It has to uh, burn him, especially when he pitched and he struggled and he still got out there and still gave the Jays a position to win. And then it gets blown in the end. But it's been the offense all season. I mean, it's just when you can't get that two, three, five-run lead that they've been doing in years past. I mean, it, it's just these close games that Jays are just not winning them. And, yeah, it's got to be taking a toll on Marcus Stroman because he is pitching um, with more than just his physical ability. He's using his emotion. So at the end of every game, I can only imagine that this guy is drained from head to toe. Yeah, I think this one, this one's frustrating. It's, you know, there's been so many losses that have been hung on the offense this year. But uh, you know, there hasn't been many there hasn't been many times when Osin hasn't come through. So it's uh, it's difficult to it's disappointing to to have that sort of the game end in that way and have another wasted start from from uh, somebody who's having such a great season like Stroman. But I think you have to you have to give the kid at the back end of the bullpen a bit of a break on this one, even if he has struggled this week. 
So as I also mentioned, Justin Smoke, Marcus has been money in the bank. He's proven himself to be a big game pitcher. Justin Smoke is hitting 300 and is still doing what he's been doing since training with a measure of consistency and control at the plate that I jokingly tweeted. Um, he was the only one who didn't get the memo when it comes to this offense this year. What are your thoughts on him at this stage in the game? And do we agree that he is a bona fide asset moving forward in, in 2018? I think so. I mean, it's funny because throughout the first couple of months of the season, I got to the point where I finally, uh, you know, turned to any kind of negative attitude that I'd had over the last few years towards him. I got to a point where I could at least be neutral and go, okay, well, great. He's playing awesome and let's ride this out as long as it lasts. And like you said, he's still doing it. And I didn't expect that he'd be able to keep it up to the all-star break. And I certainly didn't expect that, that he would carry it on into the deeper into the summer, but here we are. And, the guy has been unquestionably the best offensive asset on the team this year. So uh, he's made me into a believer. Maybe that's a curse for him. I don't know. It seems to be that, that case. As soon as I start buying into something, then it turns on me. But uh, but uh, he's had an incredible year, and he just looks like a completely different hitter than he has in years past. And we don't know what's going to happen next year. So let's just savor everything he does and, and enjoy the ride. Yeah, I, I thought for sure after this uh... – all-star game he was going to pull a michael saunders on us and just completely uh fall off the cliff but uh so far he's been doing uh actually he's been doing really well so it's interesting eric your comments uh savoring what he's doing there's no question this has been one of the few if any highlights of the season that fans can effectively hang their hats on what are your thoughts about Justin Smoke as it relates to the core of this team? I mean, we all agreed through conversations all, all four of us have had together about the nucleus of the Blue Jays, Marcus Stroman, Aaron Sanchez, Roberto Osuna, Devin Travis. Do you put Justin Smoke in that category? Do you see him as being the kind of player that the Blue Jays would want to keep building around as they improve? Um, to be honest, I could see him down the road if they when they do decide to go to rebuild and I do think they will probably rebuild uh, maybe not now but perhaps in a year from now um, you know I think I think if he continues to swing a hot bat uh, next year's trade deadline if there are teams willing to pay a king's ransom for him I would certainly pull the trigger I think um, they just need to get younger and if, if they're going to rebuild they need to just focus on three, and I think those three are Stroman, Sanchez, and, and Osuna, and, and work their way from there. I think uh, Smoke being, he's not a young guy anymore. He's 30 years old. I think whoever is willing to give, I mean, you might as well saw high. That's my theory. Uh, I'm not a believer, and yes, his contract is uh, <laughs> very, very low as far as dollar-wise, but uh, I think if in the off-season, if someone is willing to give you um, a younger player in return, I think you got to take it. You can't wait till next year's trade deadline, but that's my opinion. I think sell high is uh, my mentality on this one. For me, there's two elements of this. and One is there's he's got a year uh, left on his contract, and then there's another option. So there's two years of control, and uh, I think he's making um, like $4 million next year and maybe five and a half a year after. So it's it's a bargain. No matter how we no matter how we look at it, I mean, he's already earned his entire contract so far. But the other <laughs> element of it is the other element of it is um, you know people aren't paying a premium for power hitters the way that they used to in trades anymore. So I'm not sure what kind of return you can get for him. Not to say that he's not valuable because he is extremely valuable. But if uh, you know if the 
if the offseason taught us anything as far as it's uh, one-dimensional, or I guess he's more than a one-dimensional hitter, but, you know, it's just you don't see those type of hitters garnering the same kind of interest and the same sort of the team's willing to spend the same kind of premium that they did on a first baseman type when they know that there's plenty of guys that they may need to cycle through uh, that kind of position, whether it's resting them or whatever the case may be. The game just getting to be a lot uh, different that way. Yeah, he's definitely playing the wrong position to to get a return back because uh, first base seems to be um, one of the easiest. I'm not going to say easiest positions to fill, but certainly um, you, know, you can always swap DHs out. But certainly, if he was a shortstop or a second baseman, yeah, he, he'll get a king's ransom in return. Absolutely. Well, and I think you'll all agree that maybe the reason I'm biased is because I find it intoxicating to see a switch hitter who can go through almost an entire season demonstrating the ability from both sides. I always was worried about that with Kendris Morales. I thought to myself that he'd impress me more from the left than he would from the right, but there were games this year where hitting right-handed, he just absolutely, you know, would rake until his heart's content. And with Smoke, being a first baseman, it'll give the club a lot of flexibility. And so it's no surprise that I have a lot of curiosity about his future as the one bright light. I'll tell you who's not a bright light, though, and it's starting to really concern me. And I'm going to start by asking you this question, Eric. Jose Bautista hit a home run today, the kind of home run that Jose Bautista hits every couple of weeks, it seems. You know, the the curveball or off-speed pitch that he sits on and reminds you that he sure can hit that pitch at least. But he's hitting 215. At this stage in the year, that's the third lowest average behind Aaron Hill and Alfredo Griffin. I remember that stat because Sportsnet basically burned it into my skull from a few nights ago. Eric, your thoughts on Jose Bautista. What would you like to see the club do with him moving forward? Jeez. Uh, well, if this was two years ago, I'd say, you know, fill up as many dumb chunks of money you can and dump it on his front lawn. Obviously, that's changed. Um, to be honest, I, I would be surprised if he's back next year. I think it's been a good run with Jose. Um, but I think evolution is taking over, and um, you know, I, I you know, I, he, I'm very grateful for everything he did wearing the Blue Jay uniform. But um, you know, if this team is going to retool and rebuild, um, it's time to move on. It's you know, we talked about this last time I was on the show. George Bell, uh, Jose reminds me a lot of George Bell. George Bell was part of that first wave of success, but he wasn't there when they achieved the ultimate goal. And eventually the two sides parted ways, and, and I think that's going to be the same with, with Jose. Yeah, I wrote an article that was published on Sunday here, and it was uh, just talking about how I think that the Blue Jays should really consider pursuing an August trade for Bautista. And uh, the reason, and I said that you know, in the article I argued that it's a good idea for both the player and for the team. I think I agree with you, Eric. I, I can't see a situation where he returns next year. Um, the option for on his contract is, I think, for over $17 million, so it's perhaps they look at a cheaper deal. But there's just such a huge glut of outfielders um, that are other options for the Jays right now. You know, looking at the Major League roster, they've got Pilar, Pierce, Carrera, Aoki. Uh, in AAA, they've got Dwight Smith, they've got Anthony Alford. If no, Pompey can ever get healthy, um, there's like there are a ton of options. Um, and you know, and they're even talking about moving Devin Travis in the outfield. So I, I don't see a scenario where he comes back next year. And uh, as far as like it being beneficial for Batista to get moved in August. I think it's uh, his market was very poor uh, this off season. I don't know that the Jays found anybody that had much interest in at the trade deadline either. So if he can have a chance to go to a new market and kind of change the narrative a little bit, uh, I think that would benefit him um, going forward. Whether you know looking for a contract this next off season. 
the scary thing with Batista is he's his strikeout rate this year is incredible. I mean, as a Blue Jay, I think in 2010, his highest strikeout uh, year was 116. But, I mean, that year he still did 100 walks and I think 50-plus home runs. That was his big year that he had with the Jays. And this year there's still 40-plus games left, and he's done 111 strikeouts already. So, I mean, he's on base to do 150 strikeouts and very, very scary stuff, especially when he's hitting 216. Man, that's uh, getting pretty close. Um, I I sent out a tweet out the other day saying that uh, Batista might be on the list for some of the worst batting years uh, of the 21st century. I mean, batting 216 is is not very good at all. Well, especially when your team relies upon you to be the leadoff hitter. Like, this is is absolutely (laughs) surreal to me. In fact, it almost seems like a cruel joke. The organization that is claiming that it wants competitive that clearly is disappointed with the results of this year is still using a 215 hitter with very little plate control this year and it's all fine and dandy when he hits a home run but most of the time we see him up there without a game plan flailing away helplessly and it's really sad because we're not millennials I don't think the fans <laughs> who will remember Jose Bautista as the greatest Blue Jay, will be the millennials. Because if you poll them and you ask them today, who is the most significant Blue Jay of the last 10, 15 years, it's hands down Jose Bautista. I guess, I guess I'm wondering, Jeff, why is it that we're still holding on to sentimentality? Because I think it's clear to every member of this round table right now that Jose Bautista should not be leading off, let alone hitting in the upper part of the lineup. Do you agree with that? I, I would agree with that. The problem is, is give me an alternative. I mean, really, this team has been lacking a leadoff hitter. We had one for a couple months in 2015 when we had, um, oh, at the trade deadline. Now he plays for California. Um, Ben Revere? Ben Revere, yeah. We had him for a little while. But uh, certainly um, having Jose Patisa at the top of the lineup is really, really, it's a joke. But, again, I look at this Blue Jays lineup, Everyone is hitting so badly. Nobody can hit on the top of the lineup. No one's getting on base. This is a power team in which the team was built on hitting home runs, and they're not even hitting home runs. So the, the there isn't anyone else qualified to hit at the top of the order. Chris, don't you think it's profoundly disturbing that a team that's supposed to be hitting home runs isn't hitting home runs, doesn't have a, a speed game, and defensively, and, and this game, I think, as Jeff was alluding to earlier as a synopsis of the season, Chris, this game was a horrific game defensively. Ryan Gones suddenly turned into a pumpkin and single-handedly threw away Mark, Marcus Stroman's lead. So that makes me wonder, it, what was anomalous has now become something that is frequent. Are you concerned about this team defensively moving forward in 2018? I think it'll depend a lot on who's going to be in the lineup, you know, um, I think Russell Martin's still an asset defensively. Um, I think Donaldson and Tulowitzki can at least be at least average defenders. Uh, and Smoke is at least average, if not better, uh, in the infield. Our, our outfield is completely up in the air. I really don't know uh, what that's going to look like next year. And, and I also don't know whether Devin Travis will be uh, you know, a viable solution at second base. So I think that's something they absolutely have to address in the offseason. You know, if they're looking at an outfield next year that, that includes uh, – 
Pilar and Anthony Alford or, you know, maybe Dwight Smith or, or Dalton Pompey make a run at a spot. I think that in, that improves things. I think Steve Pierce is, is going to end up being the full-time left fielder. So it'd be nice to see a defensive upgrade in right field. But, yeah, it's just not characteristic of a team that we've known as for good defense for the last few years. And it's just disappointing to see, especially from a guy like Goins. You know, he's had a, an odd year. He's had moments where he reminds us that he's an elite defender and then other times where, you know, you look at his numbers and, and then he's really, you know, he doesn't grade out that well this year, which is surprising for somebody like him. And now we're looking ahead at Hap, Valdez, and uh, Estrada against the Bronx Bombers. Eric, give me your thoughts on this upcoming series against the Yankees. Do the Blue Jays have any chance, considering um, the circumstances that they've just experienced and the momentum that the Yankees clearly are looking to build on with all these great trade deadline acquisitions? I certainly like Hap's chances, and Marco Estrada has certainly thrown a couple of good games uh, recently. Uh, Valdez, well, you know, it's it's not going to be pretty, but um, anything can happen. I don't want to sort of guarantee anything. The only saving grace for the Jays right now is that the Yankees are slightly slumping. So uh, maybe the Jays pitching can uh, take a, take over a little bit against the Yankees hitting. But um, uh, I, I, the inconsistent play, it, it's really tough to uh, determine what the Jays' outcome in on this is. Um, the Jays might have a fighting chance with Hap on the mound. But uh, I think Valdez... I mean, he's what seven seven plus ERA. That's not acceptable. I think the Yankees are going to jump all over him. They're going to tire out the bullpen for the third game of the series. And uh, a shot of flip a coin. He, he's been two faced this year. Um, sometimes he looks amazing, and then sometimes, well, he looks like an older guy pitching eighty <laughs> right down the middle of the plate. So. I am intrigued to watch Estrada throw in this series. His last two starts, he's looked a lot better. And uh, I'm hopeful that uh, that he's kind of found his groove. He's kind of found his groove back. He's never been a guy that's relied on velocity anyway, so as long as he can hit low, you know, his spots and, and uh, change speeds the way that he does. Um, the last two starts have gone well, and you know if he can put together a third one, then maybe we're looking at a guy who's turning things around because he was great the first two months of the season and then was terrible for two months, so hopefully he'll be great for the last two. We'll see what happens. You know, gentlemen, I look at the standings, and I'm going to make this my final question this evening on this great round table, um, which I like to call doom, gloom, and cynicism with a slice of sadness. <laughs> I'm saying this because I, I look at the standings, and I can't help but wonder, looking back in history, how fans will consider this last year to be one in which um, a, a, a true opportunity was missed. I mean, the AL East was projected to be infinitely more competitive than it, than it has been all year. Um, it's a division that's been owned by the AL Central and the AL West, a division that has suffered from teams that either came out of the gate looking like the world beaters and then quickly being brought down to earth. I mean, Baltimore still can't get over 500. Tampa Bay is right around where people expected them to be. But Boston and the Yankees have been very inconsistent. And up until recently, I'm going to start with you on this one, Jeff. Up until recently, it looked like they were going to have some real troubles this year. They were not going to be that vaunted super team. We talked about this earlier on this roundtable about how the AL East is an accordion. The fact that the Blue chose the worst possible year, perhaps, to not take advantage of a window that was clearly open. Yeah, it's it's been really 
odd in the American League this year. I mean, outside of Houston, no one's really, really taken off um, like we expected some of the teams to. I mean, even Boston. Uh, I mean, Boston has taken off recently, so I'll, I'll give them that much because their hitting has come around, their consistent play has come around. But even the Yankees now are like six, seven games above uh, 500. I mean, even Kansas City, who holds the last wild card spot, Ari, they're just five games around, five games above 500, um, and they had just as bad a start as the Jays did. So they seem to have turned it around. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, if we recall the beginning of the year, the Jays and the Kansas City Royals were just had one of the worst starts in April that they had uh, as a franchise. But uh, Kansas City seemed to turn it around. The Jays just need those five, six games in a row of winning. And you look at this wild card standings and you say, you know what, they're only five behind. It's possible. It's possible. But then you look at all the teams that they have to leapfrog to get there. And um, I, I don't know. Just The Jays just haven't shown me any consistency to climb up the ladder. Yeah, I think it really just breaks down to that offense that the Jays are, are putting out there every day. It's it's underperforming. Um, it's a team that has all-stars. We know what that lineup is capable of. We've seen what it has done when it's at its uh, peak performance. But they're just not getting it done. Um, either, you know, and that, that's simply just other teams doing their homework and knowing what to do and the Jays not being able to stay ahead of the curve. Um, yeah, it is definitely a, a wasted opportunity, but... You know, that happens. That's baseball for you. Yeah, that's pretty much sums up my thoughts, Eric. It's uh, it's too bad because it's been a season where the Jays, you know, things would have gone the way that people anticipated. And it should have been a year where they could have, uh, they should have been winning the division, really. The way that Boston, both Boston and New York have had good seasons, but they've had uh, their issues too. So it was definitely a window that uh, they could have been there. But I think New York has taken some serious steps forward and they've shown a willingness to spend and to um, bring in assets in the trade and, and that sort of thing. So the AL East isn't going to get any easier going forward, and uh, Blue Jays are going to have to make some some adjustments this off season and the seasons going forward if they don't want to go through a dry spell like they did in the late 90s or and through the 2000s. You know, it's kind of funny. Not too long ago, people were saying, oh, it's so hard to compete in the AL East. Uh, you can't beat Boston. You can't beat New York. You guys remember that. And, well, look what's going on now. Now anybody. It's it's pretty much anyone's division, even though it is still a tough division. Yeah, but the Jays this year, I mean, their record against the AL East has just been terrible. Absolutely terrible. So, I mean, like, even if they were to rebound, I think they've just let too many games go to their own division. It's uh, it's tough. Uh, the, the Jays have totally buried themselves, and um, unless they get some consistency, it's not going to happen. There's no question about that. But we've also, from summarizing very eloquently that you all just did on the state of the AL East, we can all agree that what makes this so challenging for this front office is that the New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox and even the Baltimore Orioles will get in on spending as much as they can during the great 2018 free agency window. And uh, my concern is if this franchise isn't prepared to invest and spend that money, we may end up with yet another long stretch of, uh, of uh, not being able to make the playoffs. So only time will tell. Gentlemen, I want to thank you all for taking the time to join this round table. Let's start with Eric and then go to Chris and then Jeff. 
um, let my listeners know how they can find you on the web and what you're working on and anything else they should know. Use it as a shameless plug. Uh, yeah, thanks for that, Ari. Um, yeah, Definitely Not Jay's Talk is my website. Uh, it started in 2012. It was originally a podcast. In fact, I think the first ever uh, guest was a jaysjournal.com uh, contributor, Jared McDonald. And uh, dnjt.wordpress.com is where you can find it. And I'm also on Twitter, at the heck, T-H-E-H-E-K. Yeah, and you can find my work at uh, jaysjournal.com. We have a great stable of writers at the website there, so check uh, check out mine and, and all of their pieces on a daily basis. And on Twitter, you can find me at baseball4brains, um, and the four is a number, so it's baseball4brains. My name is Jeff. Uh, you can Jeff Falbel. You can find me on Twitter at gfalbel13. And actually, this year, I've decided to take a year off, spend... Uh, Spend a little time reconnecting with the family, uh, getting involved in the kids' uh, sports, whatnot. So I've kind of taken a step backwards from uh, being hands-on with the media in regards to uh, baseball and other areas. But uh, I definitely do like coming on here and talking baseball with Ari. Well, you've been listening to Renaissance Man and formerly of DeepLeagues.com, Jeff Falbo. Site expert at Jay's Journal, Chris Henderson, and master and host of Definitely Not Jay's Talk, Eric Rosenheck. Gentlemen, thank you for joining the Jay's Journal Podcast Roundtable. Have a great time. Thanks, Thanks, Thank you.